Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Let's Level Up podcast. My name is Rick Perez and I am your captain for this hopefully entertaining 30 minutes. I am joined with me today by a game designer and um, all-around awesome guy. His name is Seth Jaffe. Seth, did I say that right? Yes. Is it, it's Jaffe? Yeah. Okay, so uh, Seth, what, um, uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself really quick and uh, kind of explain to people what you do at uh, Tasty <coughs> Minstrel and, um, and you know who you are a little bit. Okay. Hi, I'm, I'm Seth Jaffe. I work with my friend Michael Mendez with Tasty Minstrel Games uh, to um, develop and, and uh, get games that we think are good out there. But I, I've been uh, working on game design for 10 or 11 years now. And uh, my published titles that are my designs that people might recognize are uh, Eminent Domain. Well, that's the big one. And then people would probably not recognize Terra Prime, which was my first game that uh, is a little more rare and uh, out of print. Um, but I've also worked on a lot of the Tasty Minstrel titles, such as Belfort, Ground Floor, and Kings of Air and Steam, um, among others, which um, I did a lot of development work on, on those. Um, but yeah, that's uh, a little bit about me, I guess. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, you know, Tasty Minstrel, for those of you who don't know, we've had recently on the channel quite a few Tasty Minstrel projects go up. We did a review for Belfort and Eminent Domain, and then both of the first expansions for that, um, the expansion expansion for Belfort and Escalation from Eminent Domain. And uh, I raved and reviewed, uh, in my reviews, I raved about the games and how much I liked them. And uh, one thing, I think they stick to their mission statement. I actually wrote that down because I, I love the Tasty Minstrel mission statement. It's just, it's perfect to me. Um, but the... Uh, one thing that they, they 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 try to accomplish in each one of their games is they have a game that is so simple to learn that you could literally pull it out of the box, punch out all the pieces, put the stickers on whatever you got to, and then just follow the instruction manual from point A to point B. And then as you're playing the game, which is something that uh, in in all four of the games that we've played from you guys has has been a uh, a flawless hit for. Um, I've even got my wife to play some, and she's a notorious non-gamer, uh, but she's she really enjoys some of the projects. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Um, write, writing rules and, and getting rule books right is very difficult, and sometimes we do better than other times. But I have gotten some uh, big compliments on the Belfort rulebook as being oh, one of the best rulebooks that that uh, uh, people have, some people have seen. Maybe ever. So yeah, um, no, it 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 is definitely probably it's probably number one for me. I don't know if I can make that claim yet, but it is it is one hundred percent one of the better ones. It's so it's it's fun to read, which is weird uh, because it's a rule yeah. book, uh, but it explains the concept of the game. And Belfort's not a hard game to learn as it is, but it it it, it gives you the game, the essence, and the feel and the theme all in that little book. And it's it's such an easy read. It's just awesome. Well, in the case in the case of Belfort and Kingsbury and Steam. Uh, that, well, and Teller Prime, I guess, that those were done by Josh Capel, and part of his deal is that he does a lot of, of uh, work on the rule books in order to make them easy to read and fun to read sometimes and, and very clear, and I think he does a very good job of that. Um, the yeah, other rule books, such as... That's awesome. Yeah, other rule books, such as Eminent Domain, is, was basically up to me, and I, didn't, I don't think that I did as good a job of that. Um, but I tried but, to make it, you know... Yeah, Usable. but not bad at all. <laughs> yeah, definitely not bad at all. Imminent Domain's another one of those games where I, I took it to my uh, local game store uh, whenever I was playing it to learn the game. And uh, I have a group of guys that kind of helped me 
learn games and we talk about games and we formulate a thought behind them. And, um, you know, me and uh, one of our guys, Brian, uh, we just opened the box up again. We we, uh, we punched out the different uh, cards and uh, we started playing. And it was just one of those games that just flowed so nicely, which is awesome. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with how Eminent Domain turned out. Uh, I continue to be. I, I kept thinking I would get sick of it after playing many hundreds of games of yeah. Eminent Domain. But um, <laughs> as yet, I ha- I just played it last night with, uh, with my roommate. We played some Escalation and I hadn't played in a while, but... I still enjoy it, which I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy. I'm pretty stoked about that. If I, I, I think I would be sad if I couldn't play my own game anymore because I was sick of it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. But, I, uh, I could see that. Um, yeah. Let me just read this really quick. Uh, the the tasty minstrel mission statement, which again I think is absolutely perfect yeah. for any publishing company, and, and really anybody that's involved in the gaming industry. Um, it is to heal the world by providing games that strengthen family unity, communication. And love. I mean, it's just, it, it is everything. It's it's the reason why I gained summed up in a sentence. Basically, it's 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 um, it's just perfect to me. I, I, I appreciate. It. I don't know if Michael's the one that coined that or what, but uh, just awesome. Yeah, that was my powerful. That was all Michael right there. Yeah, good job. Good. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> Let me if he not that I don't agree. Yeah. <laughs> not not that I don't agree. I'm just saying that he he you know he wrote that. Um, and I think it's a it's a good one too. Yeah, it's 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 so great. Um, just a couple quick things involving the Let's Level Up channel. Um, we are just celebrating a year's anniversary as a concept. So about a year ago, my wife and I um, were talking about uh, and and really watching a lot of board game reviews and kind of getting into this. Um, getting into this tabletop renaissance that's been going on the past five years or so, and um, me being a tabletop gamer all my life, um, I've or rather with RPGs and whatnot and a strategy gamer, I really kind of was drawn to this medium and um, long story short, it's been a year now. <laughs> and so we pumped out, I think 106 videos last year uh, on our YouTube channel or within the year. And uh, we are not stopping. We've got a ton of stuff planned like- for this year. And um, I think every video, like I've said before, we try to get better and better. So this is just a pretty much a two-man show, <laughs> the wife and I. And, uh, you know, we're learning everything from the ground up, which has been a, a bit of a journey. Um, but yeah, that, least... that's like... Go ahead. Two, that's like two a week. I, I don't remember seeing that many videos from you. Yeah, <laughs> this is... Well, yeah. Uh, well, I, I will say we've done... In the past month, we've done 20 or so. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And uh, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of them have been board game... Or, sorry, uh, video gaming related. So they've been Let's Plays and stuff uh-huh. like that. So um, it's not Thanks, 100%... Uh, development or rather uh, um, uh, camera development and things like that so uh, well we recently had a giveaway and I'd like to uh, congratulate our winner his name is Valton Lou Allen uh, he's going to win a copy of the Mage Wars course set and uh, an awesome thing happened during the last week of this contest uh, the guys at Mage Wars uh, Patrick there um, at Arcane Wonders has actually uh, threw a little uh, incentive in on his own, and he uh, he is going to send Lou Allen, or sorry, Valton a uh, pack of promo cards for Mage Wars, which is just awesome. That was totally unsolicited, and he just saw it and uh, decided to uh, do that. So thank you so much, Patrick, if you hear this. I really appreciate that, and congratulations to Valton. Thank you for um, joining us on Facebook and joining that discussion and also uh, helping support uh, Let's Level Up as a concept. So I really appreciate that. We're still getting used to this thing. We're still kind of pushing out there, but you know, every day we get, we get a little bit more of a foothold in this uh, medium, and I'm definitely looking forward to this year. It's going to be awesome. 
So enough about me. I can talk uh, probably no more about myself. <laughs> so uh, back to Seth here and Tasty Minstrel. Uh, Seth, what what as a designer, you know, what is kind of your process and uh, maybe specifically with Eminent Domain, maybe even for your first game. Um, but you know, what do you do as a designer once you have a concept? Is it just something that pops in your head one day? Um, and then you just kind of work it out until it finally you get something that you think is going to work, or how does that work for um, you? That, that's a that's a good question. Uh, it's sometimes a little bit different game to game, but I think overall there's a there's a process. And I actually recently posted a blog post um, about this. It's theme versus design or something. A lot of people will in, in the game design circles will say, if, you know, will ask, do you design theme first or mechanics first? You know, how do you do that, and a lot of people will probably answer that you could do it either way, and I'm coming to believe that that's maybe not as accurate an answer. Um, whether it, you might start with either a theme idea or a mechanic idea, um, like for example, I want to make a game about sailing, or I want to make a game where I use a rondelle, but there's only one piece on it instead of one per player. Like that's a theme or else a mechanic that you start with. Um, but pretty quickly, I think you need to. Um, if you started with a theme, you need to well, obviously you need to find mechanics that'll suit that. And if you start with mechanics, pretty quickly you're going to want a, a theme in order to drive the rest of your decisions. This just happened to me recently. I, I had uh, an idea for a game, uh, basically using a rondelle um, a certain way, and I had I'm like this would be a neat mechanism, and I kind of sketched out all these like details about the actions that you would do on the rondelle and how it would work and because i didn't have a theme i just said okay well you'll collect uh, yellow or red or blue cubes and then you combine them into purple orange and green cubes and you'll spend that stuff to get whatever buildings or you know generic things that that give you benefits um and then i kind of got stuck i'm like okay well that sounds neat then what and I thought, uh, then I thought about it for a while as far as, like, what theme could that possibly be? And I, I was drawing blanks, and it didn't really feel like anything in particular. And then eventually I said, okay, you know what this could be? Um, I like that it's, you know, combining, you know, thing A and thing B and to make uh, this other thing, thing C or whatever. So I thought, what if that were, uh, like, splicing animals together, or DNA together to get hybrid animals? Like, for example, if you splice... Uh, a man and a bird, you get a harpy. If you slice a man and a horse, you get a centaur. If you Ooh. splice a horse and a bird, you get a pegasus. You know, that kind of thing. So splicing DNA of different types of creatures together to make these mythical hybrid creatures of legend. Um, and so I thought, okay, that seems like a theme that would be kind of fun and, and would kind of fit what I'm trying to do here. And once I figured that out, I said, okay, well, I don't need to have, you know, red, blue, and yellow uh, the reason I picked those is only because it's very easy to remember that yellow and blue make green. Anyone who's watched TV in the 80s or whatever knows that yellow and blue make green. Um, but remembering that, you know, A plus B equals X is, is a lot harder. Uh, so I had picked those colors for that reason. But now, uh, you know, bird plus horse equals Pegasus is also kind of intuitive and, and easy to remember. So now I don't have to limit myself to only three resources. I could have you know, man and bird and horse and lion and snake and whatever, and I could turn them into, combine them into gorgons and pegasuses and, and griffins and uh, all these other different Chimera, mythical creatures. Yeah, <laughs> yeah chimeras, every, uh, all kinds of things. So I put a big list of those things, and I, I think if, uh, if I ever get back to this game idea, which would be, I have a lot of ideas which I'd like to get back to someday, um, what I probably would do is to have maybe six different 
um, resources, so to speak. So, you know, the man, horse, snake, lion, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, combine them together, um, eat any, any given two of them, uh, or most of the pairs of two of them, into something that exists that people might recognize. And the idea being that you've, you're um, either putting these together to put in some sort of a mythical zoo, or because people are wanting them and you're providing like, oh, someone wants a Pegasus, so you'll make them one, you know, or something like that. Um, so once, as soon as I, the point is, as soon as I had a theme, I suddenly had direction again, whereas I kind of ran out of, uh, I quickly ran out of direction when I didn't have a theme. So that was, uh, I, don't, I don't usually start with a strict, strictly with a mechanic, but my point is, even when you do, you pretty quickly need to have a theme, otherwise you're going to run out of, out of something to do. Or you'll end up with a completely abstract game, which might be fine if you're into that kind of thing, but but that's not my favorite um, type of thing. So um, that's kind of like my process. I'll either have an idea that I like for a theme or else for a mechanic, and then I'll quickly think about how that might work, um, and then I'll sit down and I'll write down a bunch of notes about how it works. And in my head, I basically think about playing the game even before I've got rules for the game, I think about what it would be like to be sitting there, what decisions I'd make as a player. What would I be looking at? What would I be holding in my hand as a player um, of, of a game? And I've got these, they're like, it's like math variables, only instead of a variable, it's like a, a card in my hand that could have anything on it that I want. You know, um, So I kind of imagine what would be on it. Mm-hmm. What would be interesting to be on this card in my hand? What would be interesting to be a space on the board or whatever? And I kind of keep it fluid in my mind, knowing that it could change and, until I've got a you know idea of what I want. You know, I, I could quickly change my mind. I could say, oh, well, this space could la- allow you to do this thing, and then five minutes later, I could say, well, that thing wouldn't be very useful. So it'd be maybe if it was this thing instead. So I just kind of keep the that open in my mind that that things can can change on me. So I try to keep all the possibilities or a range of possibilities for each of the aspects of the game. Until I until it all kind of solidifies and comes together, and then I kind of write it all down, um, and uh, it's kind of like my process, I guess you could say. Yeah, um, I do that a lot. Um, and then, well, that's just for the the idea, sort of brainstorming. Then the the some of the hard parts, some of the hurdles of, of designing a game is, um, well, there's there's several. One is is getting uh, that. Idea that is that you think is worth it that that, that excites you that it, either either theme or mechanic either way. The next hurdle is finding if you started with a theme, finding mechanics that match. If you started with a mechanic, finding a theme that matches. That's another hurdle. Uh, and then the next hurdle is once you've got this sketch down that I just talked about, how do you prototype that? Um, which sometimes is very easy, <clears throat> other times is very difficult. And I've actually stalled out on games because I. <clears throat> pardon me, ran into trouble prototyping them or figuring out how to prototype them or just getting the impetus to get up and do it. Um, so a lot of games kind of stop right there and, and sit in my notebook because I haven't gotten around to uh, making a prototype. So, um, sorry, um, Seth. So you work for Tasty Mentral. Uh, you guys, you're, you're one of the, the the trinity there at Tasty Mentral, I guess you could say. Um is that something that Tasty Minstrel, or rather as a publishing company, uh, separating from a designer, um, does a publishing company want a full-blown prototype and a working play copy um, from the designer? Does, or rather, I guess let me try to form this question a little bit better. Does the designer need to present a complete solution to the publishing company before the publishing company would take interest in something like that? 
Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say yes. Okay. In general, a co- um, publishing companies have a lot of things to do. They need to publish games. They need to get artists and stuff. They are not looking for game ideas. They are looking for games. Makes sense. If you go up to, and I can't answer for all publishers, so maybe there are some that don't uh, uh, necessarily agree with this, but uh, I would assume and I would expect that any publisher that you take your game to and say, hey, I've got this great idea, but it's not a game yet, they'll be like, great. <laughs> you, you know, They're not going to say, yeah, well, hey, yeah. we're going to totally publish that. Because then they don't have, you know, they, they, what are they published? You know, that's not sure. That's not going to help. Um, of all the publishers that I know of, I'm probably the most likely to take an unfinished game and work on it because that's uh, that's sort of what I was doing before. Before I was associated with a publisher, that's what I that was kind of my mo. I liked. Uh, I would see an idea that I liked. Someone's talking about a, a game design that they they were working on, and I thought, oh, that's neat. That sounds like a great idea, and I'd see some potential in it, and I would start talking to them about it and you know, uh, help, helping them, helping in air quotes, because they may or may not, in all cases, have wanted me to. Um, <laughs> but uh, making comments, making suggestions uh, as to what they could, uh, how, how it would you know, be cool if it were like this. Um, and as a result, now that I'm associated with a publisher, um, in some cases I have sort of taken games that, have been submitted or that I've even ones that have not been submitted that I've seen and, and sort of requested them to submit that were not really finished games and then worked on them. Um, I'm kind of trying to do less of that because there's just not time. Sure. And as a publisher, looking at it from the point of view as a publisher, there's not time and there's not generally speaking, there's not people to do that. Now that said, so, so my advice is don't pitch a game to a publisher that's not finished. That said, Every publisher or most publishers will likely might make development tweaks even to your finished game. So while I am saying don't submit unfinished games to publishers, I'm also saying don't expect that your finished game is really uh, necessarily finished and yeah. publishers may may well uh, make small changes or I've heard of big changes, but I, I don't know how frequent that is, um, a sweeping change to a game after it's been <laughs> accepted. I, I expect... Small uh, tweaks and small. I can see how that would happen, and I've heard of it many times. Um, well, gamers never have egos, reasons. so that's not a problem, right? <laughs> uh, you know, it depends on the the, the designer, right? The, where they where they come from and what their history is. Sure. Um, there's there's all kind. Of, and uh, that said, uh, as a designer, if you um, if a publisher is interested in changing your game and you don't want them to, I guess you've always got the option to say, hey, I'm not comfortable with that. Um, and what worst case, they, they, you just don't have the, the, game, the public company publish the game, right? That's that's mm-hmm. that's always an option. Um, but I would say for the most part, publishers are on the same team as you, and they're not trying to ruin your game. They're trying to make it either better, uh, better in one way or another, either better... Um, as as uh, gameplay or better uh, reaching more people, making it you know simpler to to, to learn or or uh, more saleable or whatever. They're not trying to ruin your game. They're just trying to uh, improve it further. Um, so I, I again I can't speak for all publishers, but as designers, you pretty much have to understand that that that's the kind of things that ha- that happen. Is uh, um, to, so to answer your original question. 
don't don't submit unfinished games. That's just wasting everyone's time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and do expect or or accept that there will be um, likely some uh, suggestions or tweaks or comments made by the publisher in order to uh, for whatever reason to um, that you might need to deal with. Yeah, sure, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's, you're really entering in and at that point a partnership, right? So if you're looking to a publisher to help get one of your games out there to the to the market, I think you should be um, flexible enough yeah. to hear some feedback. Yeah, it's a team effort, and they're both on the same team. It's not a it's not a competitive game. Publishing sure. games is not a competitive game between the publisher and the designer. Yeah, until Seth Jaffe makes the game publishing <laughs> by Tasty Minstrel uh, for victory <laughs> points. <laughs> um, I so, was wondering, uh, again, you have uh, a couple of different things in the pipe for Tasty Minstrel um, that I know you wanted to talk about, and so maybe now would be a good time to um, to bring that up. I know Skullville just hit a couple weeks ago, I believe, to Kickstarter. That game looks awesome. Uh, yeah, so I guess I just run down the the Tasty Minstrel stuff. So to be, begin with, the things that have just been delivered, as you mentioned, Belfort expansion and Eminent Domain expansion, along with the third printing of Eminent Domain itself, uh, those all people should pretty much have all their copies of that. That the Kickstarter backers should, and they should be in stores or available uh, by now, I would think. Um, and so I'm I'm hearing online people playing these and enjoying them, and that makes me feel good. It's um, always good to hear when somebody enjoys something that you've created. Um, so that's uh, that was, that's our most recent stuff that's come out. Uh, we've just completed a bunch of Kickstarters for s- several different uh, microgame type things, uh, which have been pretty popular. And uh, so popular that some people have been concerned that Tasty Minstrel might not uh, be doing as many of the bigger games. And I just wanted to let everyone know that that's not the case. And as evidenced by Scoville, as you just mentioned, has just started Last week on Kickstarter, Scoville is a great uh, bigger game, a Euro game where you have um, a bunch of different colored cubes for peppers. You plant them on the board, and it matters where you put them because it's, there's a geography to the board. Uh, you walk your little guy around the board in between rows of peppers in order to create new peppers, combining uh, based on the colors. Uh, so if you walk between a blue and a, and a red pepper, you'll get a, pe- a purple pepper, which is like a more valuable one. And then if you plant the purple pepper, you'll get bonus points for being the first person to do that. And then if you walk between purple and something, you'll get like black or white or yellow. Uh, platinum are the are the the even highest level peppers that are worth more and more. And you're trying to get a specific combinations of these things uh, for uh, recipes, chili recipes. You're making chili, and uh, you need certain combinations for those. Um, you can also fulfill orders, which usually turns like two blue peppers into like I don't know. I forget what the what the orders are, but turn some peppers into like other peppers plus points plus money or something. Mm-hmm. Some little smaller mid game sort of like mini goals. You got the the end game uh, recipe goals, and of course you get bonus points for being the first to plant all the higher level peppers. So you've got all these different uh, things to think about as to which peppers you want. And the way that it works is with an auction, uh, turn order auction every round, where you you bid for turn order, but you don't bid for who goes first. You bid for, to get to pick where in turn order you want to be. So if you win the bid, you can go first or last or second to last. And that matters because part of the game goes from first to last in turn order, and the next part of the game goes from last to first, and the third part of the game goes from first to last again. So sometimes you really want to be last so that you can go first during the uh, harvesting portion of the game. 
Whereas other times you really want to go first because there's a really good thing in the when you win the auction, everyone gets to draft new peppers, and maybe you really want the one that just came out, the best one. Um, so you can uh, really care whether you go first or last, um, or you can conserve your money and, and take what you're dealt as far as you know uh, not bidding on the turn order. So there's lots of different approaches, and it's a real. I just read a thread on BGG where people were concerned that it didn't it didn't look deep enough, like it looked too simple. And I really think that's more of a, um, like you said about the rule books and the uh, other games that you've played by Tasty Minstrel, where they're they're easy to learn, but they're still good. I think that might be what's going here. It, it, it's so elegant and so simple that it, people are, are, a couple people were worried it might not be interesting enough. Yeah. Um, and for anyone for anyone listening to this podcast, I, I can attest it's it's a it's a real game. It's it's a really good game, and there's there's a lot of interesting decisions. Um, and hopefully that isn't being obfuscated by the fact that it's sort of straightforward and 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 elegant. Um, I think that Ed Marriott is the designer of Scoville. I think he's done a really good job um, on this one. I've done very little in the way of development uh, on this particular game compared to some of the other games where I've I've worked a lot on. Um, I just didn't need to because it was so done to begin with. Um, and, and Ed will be on the podcast in the next couple of weeks, I believe, as soon as he gets, um, as soon as the dust settles on this project here for a little bit. But he looks, he seems pretty excited to get on here and and talk about Scoville okay. in more detail. Cool. Hopefully that'll air before before uh, the end of the project. I forget how long it's got left. Nineteen days, but, uh, I think, when I looked this morning. Um, something like that. Two or three weeks, uh, somewhere in there. Uh, so we've, I believe, we're doing really well on the initial funding, um, and we've got a number of stretch goals. I really hope that we hit them because um, we'd love to, the, the we'd love to be able to. Most of our games have a good range of player counts. From uh, um, well, Belfort's two to five players, and and uh, Ground Floor is two to six players, and Kingsbury and Stevens two to seven players. And I really like that we can. That these games are good for such a range of people of, of player counts, and Scoville could be another one that goes up to as many as six players. But the problem is, in order to uh, include that many players, there needs to be more pieces and mm-hmm. uh, more cubes, more more player pawns, and more pieces. So um, that's why those are stretch goals, and I'm hoping that we hit them so that we can provide uh, a six-player game with all the pieces um, in it. Uh, for four players, I, I I would love to see that be another uh, another wide player range uh, player count range. Yeah, that'd be um, awesome. So, I mean, overall, so I, I think um, when I when I first saw Scoville, um, I, I thought that this was going to be awesome. Like, oh, here we go. Who we got? We got Belfort with peppers, um, and you know, and looking at it, it's, of course, it's not Belfort with peppers, and it is a game that mm-hmm. does seem, as you said, very easy to learn, and I think that's just part of what makes. Uh, you know, TMG games, TMG games is that it's is that they're easy and they're not necessarily that they're lacking any depth or lacking any strategy, but they're just easy to learn. You, they're they're the concepts are very simple, and then from there, there's just so many possibilities of different strategies, and of course, you get different players playing the game different ways, and everyone has their own little micro game that they're playing. It really provides for a very entertaining yeah. experience, at least of what I've experienced in the TMG universe, um, and it's just that is- awesome. That is something that's uh, that I find attractive. If I'm, if, when I'm looking for games and, and, and considering submissions, I like to I like games that are that are elegant um, and that are but, but are still you know interesting and yeah. and good. Um, like ele- elegant does not mean the same thing as, as simplistic. Um, so that that uh, is one of the attractive features of Scoville. Um, 
another attractive feature from the point of view of choosing to publish it was that almost every single player I played it with just seemed to love it, even more than I did sometimes. And I was <laughs> I, at first, in fact, the first time I played it, I actually played it two players when we first got the submission, and we played it wrong because I got a rule wrong or the rule book didn't. Uh, there was something about the rules that I wasn't sure about, and we played it wrong. And so two players and, and playing incorrectly was like the worst possible way you could play the game. And I kind of disliked it because, well, it wasn't, I wasn't doing it right. You weren't playing um, Scoville. So huh? I was, yeah. So I was, I was sort of sour on it to begin with, but I'm like, well, let's play it with more players. And I played it with more people. And because I had that bad first experience, I kind of was like, eh, it's all right. Whereas every person I played it with was like, wow, that's great. And they wanted to play it some more. And, and so I thought, okay, well, let me reconsider my position here. And I realized that I was attributing too much weight to that incorrect first play, <laughs> which is always a danger, I guess, when you play things incorrectly. That's, um, you know what? Uh, I and, could attest and to I that started, 100%. So I started to realize how... Um, and so I started to play it, you know, pay, I tried to ignore, the, you know, forget about that first play, and I played it some more, and I'm like, yeah, this is good. I, I do like this. And I kind of... So it's kind of a, a testament to the game that, that um, <laughs> the, the players of the game... Liking it is one of the main factors that that led me to say, "Hey, let's do this game." That's awesome. Versus sometimes it's the other way around. I'll, I'll I'll play a game and I'll be like, "Hey, I like this game. Let's do this game." This time it was, "Hey, everyone likes this game. We should probably do this game." <laughs> you know, and uh, <laughs> uh, so that was that was uh, in its favor for sure. And um, and it's also a testament to how important it is to play things correctly the first time, because even the best game in the world might be terrible if you play it wrong. So. Sure. Um, a lot and a lot of people. I, I've I've many games I've learned. I've probably played a rule wrong the first time because it was I don't know taught that way or because a, a rule was missing the rule book or or whatever reason. Um, sometimes it's not a big deal. Other times it's a huge deal. And uh, one of the reasons we like to have such good rule books and such elegant rules is that we want to minimize people's first play uh, uh, incorrect incorrect first plays. We want to maximize people's enjoyment the first time and minimize the um, number of, of people who are out there playing it incorrectly the first time, and hopefully that if they do play it incorrectly, hopefully it's not going to ruin the experience for them. Yeah, see, I, that happened to me when I played um, Mage Knight the first time. Um, I bought Mage Knight because, you know, it's it's a game that's it's kind of widely received very well on the Internet and on Board Game Geek and has a very loyal fan base. Um, so I went and got it, expecting it's going to be this awesome game, and I, I guess I butchered the rules. I don't know if I just misinterpreted them, if maybe the rule book isn't written as as well as Belfort's is, um, but I just didn't enjoy it. It just seemed a bit convoluted, and um, when, I, when I expressed this on Board Game Geek, um, it was just kind of like just getting stones thrown at me. You know, you're doing it wrong. It's like, oh, well, crap, yeah. and now I'm not going to have fun with this game ever again now. <laughs> Um, well, it's very difficult, like I said, because I mean, people will. It, not everyone. I, I've had both comments on a, on Eminent Domain rulebook came out, and some people would say this rulebook's terrible; it doesn't explain anything. And the next very next thread is this rulebook's the best rulebook I've seen in ages. So it's very difficult to tell even what's you know what constitutes a good uh, rulebook sometimes because not everyone reads them the same way. Yeah, it's very difficult to write rules. Um, to write rules that everyone likes. Um, just we just we do the best we can to make things clear so that we can provide a good first experience. Um, and of course, we pick games that we think people will like in the first place. It's always a good start. Yeah, um, no, for sure. So yeah, Scoville. So Scoville's happening. Um, and anyone who thought that description I gave was interesting should totally go check that out on Kickstarter. Um, and 
starting this next couple of days, sometime this week, will be our uh, um, another um, micro game as well on Kickstarter. This one is called "This Town Ain't Big Enough for the Two to Four of Us," and it's <laughs> by by Jay Cormier and Senfung Lim, who is the same designers that brought us Belfort, and as well as Train of Thought. And those guys are on fire right now. They've got a game called Akatori coming out from Z-Man, which, um, honestly, if Z-Man didn't pick that up, I was going to ask them for it because I've, I played that one time, and it was really cool how that works. Uh, and they've also got uh, a game on Kickstarter right now called Tortuga from Queen Games, which I've gone ahead and backed. Um, I don't know a whole lot about the game, but I, I basically backed it because of Jay and Sen are the designers, and, and everything I've seen from them um, has been pretty... Uh, Pretty solid. So uh, they've got uh, we've got this uh, this town ain't big enough uh, coming out on Kickstarter. It is a micro game. It's got 25 little tiles and it's an area control game and it goes pretty quickly, like 15 minutes, probably 15 to 30 maybe. I think is what it says. And you basically the tiles are divided up by fences into quadrants or sections anyway. And inside some of these sections are cowboy brands. And so you're one of the cowboy brands will be yours. And what you want to do is you want to um, create an area fenced in by fences, which I think will be called a corral. You want to fence in a corral, and then once the corral is fenced in, you'll score it. And the way, this is the interesting part. Whoever has the most cowboy brands in the fenced-in corral gets the most points. But what you get is one point per cowboy brand that the next fewest, that the next player has. So you'll rank all the cowboy brands. Let's, let's say I have five and you have three and two other people tie for one each. So I have five. I get the most points. I get three points since you had three brands in there. Then you, with three brands, had the second most. So you get one brand because that's how many the next people have. Oh, I see. And the next people down, uh, they're tied for one. I guess they get zero because the next one down is, is zero. Um, so the key here is that you want to have the most brand. You want lots of other brands. In the, you want your. You want to have the most, but in order to get more points, you want the next player to have more. So you want to be like adding other players' brands to your where you're winning which, of course, makes it harder for you to win <laughs> uh, that area. Um, so that's the, the crux of the game, is, is trying to have the most uh, symbols in an area where someone else also has a lot of symbols. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, that's cool. So, yeah, that's uh, there's a little more to it than that, but that's basically the idea. And I believe I just saw some uh, rules for little tiny expansions, which might be stretch goals or something, where you have extra little tokens <laughs> that you can put down to like sheriffs that you can cover up someone's cowboy brand or outlaws that you can hire that are basically extra your cowboy brand or something like that. Oh, okay. Um, which I think will be really a, a nice little elegant addition to the game. And that's coming um, out next week? Uh, that should be on Kickstarter sometime this week, next okay. couple of days. Next couple of days. Believe, awesome. is what I, heard. I, believe, I believe I saw a post that it was... Uh, so with Kickstarter, you have to submit a project and then it has to be approved by Kickstarter before you can launch it. And I believe we saw that it was approved, and therefore it will launch in the next couple of days. Yeah, and for um, those of you who may be listening to this on iTunes um, or Stitcher Smart Radio, um, today is February the 2nd, 2014. So if you're looking at this a year or now, a year or so or now, try to pick this up at your friendly local uh, gaming store because it's probably not available on Kickstarter anymore. <laughs> so uh, um, about that, actually... <clears throat> The micro games that we've been doing may not be available in your friendly local game store. Um, the way that uh, so I don't know how much this is secret, so I'm not getting in trouble by saying this out loud. But uh, I know that sometime this year, later this year, we're going to be having an updated PlayTMG.com website, 
And on that website is where you can directly order these micro games Ooh, uh, for nice. probably five dollars. So uh, because of the well, for the same reason that these games are on Kickstarter for three dollars or whatever minimum, <coughs> pardon me, is because of the logistics and the the cost of shipping um, is such that if they, if they can fit in a certain size envelope and aren't considered a package, instead they're considered like a, a letter with a surcharge or something like that, then we can afford to send it. So that being the case, uh, that's like the only way we can afford to provide them is, is if people will order them directly from our website. I don't think that we, I'm not sure if this is 100% true, so we might be looking into it still, but it might be the case that you can't necessarily uh, get these at stores. You might be, have to get them from uh, playtv.com or other uh, specific outlets. Okay. Um, but that's that hasn't been 100% uh, set or announced or whatever yet, so I'm not sure exactly the details. But um, well, I guess what I'm saying is watch for playtmg.com <laughs> this year. Awesome, that's gonna be great. And if you're if you're ever actually if anyone's ever interested in anything TMG related, you should totally sign up for the uh, newsletter, newsletter, which uh-huh. comes out approximately once a month, maybe once every two months, whatever it is. Um, which will basically any 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 big announcements will be in that. So. You don't get too much spam, and, and you get the the info. So you totally sign up for Casey Mitchell's uh, subscription thing. After this town, um, uh, we'll basically be going. Uh, Mike tells me we'll go on a, a little bit of a sabbatical uh, from Kickstarter for a while, and the reason being is because we'll have a, a, a number of Kickstarter projects that have finished and are in process and won't uh, won't have been delivered yet. And so we thought we'd take a little break and kind of catch up. Uh, a little bit. So three to five months, we might not have a Kickstarter campaign. Um, and when Mike announced that, I noticed some, someone mentioned uh, that their wallet, wallet thanks us for that. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, uh, but when that's over, we, we do intend to use Kickstarter some more on some upcoming uh, other projects. Uh, I'm not sure which ones in which order, but uh, we, we definitely aren't, aren't finished using Kickstarter. Um, it's just too useful to, to avoid. Um, yeah, definitely. But yeah, so sorry, go ahead. The other things I've been, uh, so other things I've been working on for Casey Mistral, in case people are, are interested in the behind the scenes thing or what I've been working on. Um, well, there's a whole bunch of things, um, but some stuff that, uh, will be coming out soon. So a, a while ago we finished a Kickstarter for city hall and captains of industry. And there was a bit of delay on captains of industry, but we finally got that, um, back, in in the in the process and we're we're finally almost uh ready to be printing those and so those are coming still and i got the uh as far as city hall is concerned i got proofs i got color proofs and and hard proofs for that and i actually played a game with the uh they they make a mock-up and a white box and the color proofs is the three things they send you the white box is like all the printed components only not printed so it's exactly like it will feel but it's all white which is kind of cool um, but then, uh, so you can check the, the, uh, cardstock and the, and the everything, how everything feels and looks as far as like physically. Uh, then the next, the other thing they send you is the color proofs, which is like <clears throat> the, all, all the stuff printed with their nice printers, um, on nice, uh, on the nice paper, but not mounted on the boards, not, you know, not, not wrapped around the box, just folded up and, and separate. So you can check all the colors, make sure the colors look right and everything like that. And then the third thing they send you is a mock-up where they print out everything on, like, a crappy desk jet 
where it doesn't cost a lot of ink and stuff. And then they, they glue the fronts to the backs of the cards and they, they, they kind of glue the, uh, um, the cover of the box on top on the box and things like that. So it's, it looks like a, like a prototype version, um, that, that somebody might've made on their, on their home computer. Um, but it's basically to make sure that all the pieces are there and that everything lines up front to back correctly. Um, and things like that. So I took that, that mock-up to my friend's house the other day and we played a game, um, mostly, well, because I wanted to play the game I hadn't played in a while, and also because I wanted to make sure it was fully playable and nothing was missing, and I thought that would be a fun, good way to do it. Um, and we had a really good time playing it, and I, I, I told the manufacturer they're approved, and so that's all underway. Um, and, yeah, so those are those are underway uh, after a short, uh, maybe longer than short delay on, on Captains, but those are still um, in process and, and will be coming out this year, uh, as expected, maybe a little later than expected. Awesome. Uh, and, and the other stuff that I've been working on, I've got a lot, actually, of thing, a, a long list of, of things that we've got um, coming soon. Uh, so here's some things I've been working on that may or may not become Taste of Mistral releases. I've got two different worker placement games. One is a worker placement game where you assemble the worker spots, the places you go, out of components. So the game is different every time, depending on what players build as far as what's available. Um, and the other one is kind of the opposite. It's it, Players can uh, splice on components onto their workers, like adding brains or claws or tentacles to their workers to make them collect more points or displace other workers or collect more resources, those kind of things. So you can... Uh, I, I was kind of amused that I had these two submissions that seemed so complimentary. <laughs> um, so those are two worker placement games that I'm working on behind the scenes that may become Chase Mitchell releases. Awesome. Uh, there's a game, yeah. There's another one that is called Battle Cruiser, which is, um, it's like a micro game. It plays like a micro game, but it's got uh, more. I'm not sure how to describe this. So there's a um, a larger number of cards than you might see in a micro game, but any given game of it you use a subset of those cards. So, like, for example, um, if we use cards number uh, 1, 3, 11, 17, and 22 this game, everyone gets those cards from their own little stack of cards. If we all have the same set of five cards or whatever, five is the wrong number, but... Um, and we'll, this game, we're just going to use those five cards. So we've all got the same five cards. Next game, we'll use a different five cards. And so the next game will be a little bit different because we have different cards to use. But we've all got uh, the same cards as each other, and there's a kind of a simultaneous card play and you reveal them and you're trying to damage other people's ships, making them discard cards or else collect victory points. And you either win by getting a number of victory points first or by being the last ship standing. Um, so that's awesome. kind of an interesting one um, that we're working on. And that's actually by Philip Duberry, which is a designer of games such as um, what's it called? I'm drawing a blank on the name right now. Uh, Revolution. Uh, his game is called Revolution. Um, and, um, he's got some other stuff too. Uh, something just came out from, uh, wow, I'm really unprepared for this. Um, the AEG's, uh, line, the, the line of the, the game, line of games that are all in the same universe. I believe one of them's, uh, by Phil Tiberi that just recently came out. Maybe it's called Courtier. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, he, so he's, he's got a couple titles and, and so, uh, people might know who he is. Oh, and, and also Kingdom of Solomon from Minion Games, I believe was also him. So that's a designer we've uh, heard of and hadn't worked with yet. Um, and then another another sort of like micro game. So the thing about these micro games, um, 
they are attractive for a number of reasons to a number of people. But as a player of games, honestly, I'm not the kind of player who likes to play micro games. I prefer the bigger games. So for me, as my, as far as micro games go, I'm always looking for micro games that have a little more to them. Um, sure, a little more you know substance. I mean. Yeah, and uh, what I um, I have so so we've got a game that's kind of a. I, I guess it's a micro game. It's probably about 30 cards or so, so I don't know if that qualifies what people's definition of a micro game is. Um, but this one I like because it plays like a Euro game, and uh, I, I like it a lot. I mean, I like some of the other micro games too. I just don't see myself playing them a whole lot because I'm looking for a, a, a bigger, uh, deeper game. So this one come, uh, that we're working on, um, I, I, I don't know if we've signed it or not, but I think we have or we will or something. Um, it's called Harbor, and it's by the same guy that did it's by Scott Alves, guy that did Kings of Air and Steam, and also merchandise. Um, so we like to work with him. And this game, oh, he's got a game called Tiny Epic Kingdoms with another uh, Gameland Games, also. Yeah. So people have heard of that recently. Yeah, um, I that's see, the same I guy. Back that one. That one looks very interesting. Yeah. So uh, Scott's game Harbor, and he's he just told me he's got like seven more things. In the, he he must he's blowing up right now too. Um, he's got a lot of stuff <laughs> coming out soon. Um, but anyway, Harbor is one that is uh, it's like a micro game that I. Uh, I'm really digging because it plays like a Euro game. It's like a worker placement Euro game uh, with an interesting market mechanic. So we're, we're working on that with him now to sort of, um, I don't know, develop it a little bit, make it make it cool, uh, cooler. It always already pretty cool. Um, so those are the kind of some of the things we've been working on. Um, and then also I know that we've got a um, Dungeon Roll Legends booster, it's called. So it's another booster of heroes for Dungeon Roll. Eight more heroes. Um and that is almost finished. Uh, we've got a couple, like, one hero that still needs a little bit of work and two more that might need some tweaks, but the rest are, are okay. And that'll be coming out at some point this year, I believe. And we're also starting to work on a, on an expansion for Dungeon Roll with uh, Chris Darden, the designer, um, called Shop and Tavern, where you can hire henchmen and buy equipment to bring with you on your delves in the dungeon. Awesome. So that's that's begun, um, as well. Um, what is there anything else? I mean, oh, of course, there's something else. And there's an expansion to Kings of Air and Steam as well, also by Scott Holmes uh, that we're we're working. On. I think that's pretty much done. I think we're gonna we're gonna get started on art on that pretty soon. So uh, that's there's probably some other stuff too, but that's the big stuff that's coming up soon. Um, you guys have a very busy year ahead of you. It sounds like. Yeah, we got a lot of stuff, and we're not sure how. Uh, that's we're never sure what order these things are going to come out in. We do have one more uh, awesome game actually that I wanted to mention um, that we'll be uh, working on. It will be on Kickstarter sometime later this year. It's called Bomb Squad, and it's by some friends of mine here in town, uh, David Short and Dan Keltner. And that game, um, I really dig this game. It's uh, a real-time cooperative game, but not real-time like other real-time games you've seen. It's turn-based, and you can take as long as you want on your turn, but the thing is, there is a clock running down, counting down, and at the end of 10 minutes real-time, a bomb will explode unless you've defused it. Okay. Um, and then 10 minutes after that, another bomb will explode unless you've defused it. And so what you're doing as a group is that you're programming a, a bomb disposal robot to navigate a building, open doors... 
um, rescue hostages and defuse bombs. Um, and the way that you're doing it uh, is, have you played Hanabi? I have not. Oh, well, that's too bad, because Hanabi's, like, a really good game, and you should totally check it out. I know. So, uh, Hanabi... Talks from Crits Happens just got it, uh, and he's looking forward to that as well. Well, yeah, Hanabi's an amazing cooperative game by Anton Bauza, uh, and this game kind of uses a similar mechanism in which you have your cards, cards that have these commands on them for the robot, but you don't get to see your own hand. So you're holding your hand backwards, and everyone else can see it but you. And so what you're doing is you're giving each other clues on, uh, and there's strict clue rules as to what you're allowed to say um, in order to let people know what cards they should be playing. And then you're playing cards. When you play it, you play it face down into the robot registers. Um, so you don't necessarily know if you played the right one, but your partners do. And then eventually, once you've put some commands in the robot, you'll activate it as your, your turn will be like, I'm going to activate the robot. And then depending on if you have... Um, if you don't have too many cards in the register, you're allowed to discard one. So if somebody made a mistake, you can fix it that way. Um, and then it costs battery. Your robot has battery power. So the more actions you do in one time, the more efficient it is because it costs like three or four battery just to activate the robot plus one more battery per command. And if you make an incorrect or an illegal command, it drains extra battery. And if you run out of batteries, you lose. So you have to, um, and there's a way to get battery back. So there's a way you got to manage your battery. You have to, um, you know, navigate, like, get the, the correct commands in so you can navigate the building the way you want to, and you need to be rescuing hostages before they get blown up by bombs, um, and all of this in something of a hurry, because if you take too long, you dawdle too much, <laughs> the bombs will blow up. Yeah. Nice. So, it is a blast, and that's not, well, pun, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> it is a, it's a really fun game, and I, I liked it so much that I, I, uh, Basically, ask them if we could publish it, and um, uh, and so we are we are going to have that later this year on Kickstarter, and it's um, I'm really excited about that. And we're we're looking for some artists right now uh, to do some dramatic uh, art for that. Um, cool. But yeah, I, I'm I'm looking forward to that one. To, to I'm looking forward to all these games. Playing playing a published version of these games is kind of a a, a, a Nice reward for all the work and effort and thought and, and time that goes into making them. Um, a lot of the times, I'll, I'll I play a game uh, with a prototype copy many times, and I'm, I'm I'm okay with that most of the time. But it's always nice to see the full final components. Yeah, so I'm I looking can, forward to all these games. Yeah, that sounds that sounds very interesting. Um, let's see, it's it's already almost been an hour, Seth, and I and I only. Requested about a half an hour of your time, so I apologize. This ran kind of long, but uh, is there anything else that you'd like to, um, you know, any uh, address with the uh, Let's Level Up universe here? Uh, no, I think I've talked about just about everything I can talk about. Okay, um, man. Well, I um, I definitely appreciate your time today, and I'd like to thank you again for uh, you know letting Let's Level Up take a look at some of these uh, tasty minstrel games. I was very very pleased with everything that i saw and i hope that uh you know in the future we can review some more of your stuff um i'm a big fan you, you made a fan out of me and um i think uh, quite a few other people that i know that i've talked to have since picked up tasty minstrel games uh or tasty minstrel well, products and it's 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 been good well it's great to hear and i'm hoping that pretty soon you will to, to review our next couple of games uh you know city hall and captains of industry when they when they come out or uh Whatever else, whatever else we can uh, get you to review, It'd be great. Yeah. 
<laughs> I'm always willing to do whatever. Um, uh, Seth Jaffe, again, he's a head designer at Tasty Minstrel Games. He gave us a uh, very good look at some of what's going to be coming up this year with Tasty Minstrel and a little bit of insight into what he does as a designer in this podcast. So, again, Seth, thank you so much for doing that. Everybody, I'd like to thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you found it as entertaining and as educational as I did, or rather as informative as I did. Um, this is our first podcast of the year, but we're going to have a couple, uh, really, we've got three or four guests that have already uh, agreed to do things, so we may have a couple in the next few weeks, um, but we're definitely going to try to get at least one out a month. This is going to go with our already aggressive shooting schedule of at least uh, a review a week um, in the uh, tabletop universe. So, um, Seth, you have any parting words for, for the, uh, for the listeners here? Um, no, keep playing our games. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely check out Tomatesi Mitchell stuff. I think Belfort and, uh, Eminent Domain. Eminent Domain may be one of my favorite deck builders that I've played. Um, at least that was introduced to me last year. Um, and Belfort is one of my favorite, uh, Euro style worker placement games. I really, really love the theme to that. It's just, it's just awesome. Um, so, uh, again, thank you everybody for listening and until next time, game on. <laughs>